Welcome to Laughter, Dirt and Education, a podcast recognising and celebrating our rural and remote educators. From teachers, principals, teacher aides and gubbies, they share their real and inspiring stories of educating our bush kids. Come along each week for the often crazy and inspiring stories of education and see why these amazing educators do what they do. Welcome back everyone for another episode. This week is a little bit different because I have the lovely Henna from the Urban Farmhouse joining us again. Welcome Henna. Thanks so much for jumping on on your Sunday. Thanks for having me, Amy. Very exciting to consider that you were my very first guest all those months ago and now we're up to like episode 25 or 26 so it just seems crazy. (laughs) It's, it's so cool. It's such a testament to your hard work. And um, I'm honoured to be back on, excited to be back on. Um, and I love listening to all your guests anyway and all their stories. It's, it's really cool. Oh, thank you. So I reached out to Hannah the other day because I've had a few Gubby friends, I guess, having trouble with behaviour. And I just love the fact that Hannah's in a very different role than I am and that she has that high school training behind her. But she also knows what it's like to be in a school room. So we have put together a few tips that we wanted to share with you all about, I guess, managing behaviour, especially I know as a govy, like I'm sure I can speak on behalf of you, Hannah, but um, behaviour can be so difficult sometimes and something that works one day won't work the next. And like I am no behaviour expert. I am still learning and I think I'll always be learning. Yeah, I agree. And I think it um, can be quite difficult when you've only got, you know, between one and probably three would be the average number of students you've got in a schoolroom and trying to set up practices that are um, equitable and fair and mimic what would happen inside a classroom. Um, yeah. But then you're trying to essentially work with like your boss as well, who's often the parent. And it's, um, it's definitely a bit of a juggling act in a very unique situation to get used to. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, you have that other stakeholder there. I guess when you're in a mainstream school, you obviously have the parents there and they're really important for their input, but it is essentially your classroom at the end of the day and you set those boundaries, those rules, whereas you do need to work with the parents in a when you are a govy and that yeah, definitely creates some more challenges, I think, for some people. Mm. Yeah, and um, I know I know we're going to touch on this a little bit later, but I think particularly when the student or the students aren't exhibiting positive behaviour and having to broach the topic of misbehaviour with your boss, who, as we've just said, is a parent, can be a bit awkward. And yeah. um, particularly, you know, you don't want to come across as you, um, like, being nasty to the child or you, like, not liking the child. It's about their misbehaviour and... Um, how you can ensure that they are acting appropriately within your space that is yours where you are in charge. Um, So sometimes it can be a bit of an uncomfortable situation and conversations, um, but I still think communicating with the parents is so important. Yes, that communication like from day dot as well and not just speaking about, I guess, the things that the kids have done wrong maybe, but like talk about those positives as well which you do when you're a teacher Mm. in mainstream as well like you want them to know the positive things as well 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So did you want to start with your, our both our tips that we've put together are very similar, but did you want to start with your first one? Yeah, sure. Well, I've, yeah, I have noticed that my first one and your second one are very similar. Yeah. So we can probably mesh them together and have a bit of a chat Definitely. about them. So my first one um, is be clear and consistent. Um, and yours was just pretty much the same, but just phrased differently. It's just clear expectations um, and then phrasing them positively as well. So I think it's just kids thrive off routine. We know for people um, that are familiar with like learning intentions and success criteria, we know that children and students respond better when they know what's coming. Um, and I think that knowledge about what happens, um, you know, that, that foundational ideology from within a learning perspective is the exact same for behavior management perspective. So if the child knows that, um, I don't know, like I just suppose the child knows that they do not talk over the top of you um, and that is a clear expectation and you are consistent with picking up that expectation, um, that, the, yeah, the expectation that they will not talk over the top of you and you're consistent about ensuring that that is always in place, I think is promoting positive behavior, but then it yeah. also lays foundations for a really clear and safe space as well. Because mm. I think clear expectations does equal a safe environment for children because they know where they stand. Um, yeah. And they, I think they do thrive with that consistency as well and quite often I get told that I mean from 13 year olds that I teach not from anyone that <laughs> that actually I suppose matters um is oh you're so strict and I take real pride in that and mm. I think it is because I'm just very clear with what I want and it's here's the bar and I've set the bar to a high standard and I'm not going to lower it for you. you need to meet it and yeah being consistent with what I expect and the behaviour that I expect and also the quality of work that I expect as well means that kids are working towards something that they know. It's a known quantity. Um, yes. And I think the greatest compliment I ever got was from one of the, um, like one of my line managers said that you, um, he said, you consistently demand um, greatness from your children. Mm. And he's like, and it's great. It's so good. And um, I remember going home to tell my sister and she's like, that's a horrible compliment. <laughs> she, he, he's essentially saying you're just really strict. And I said, no, that's, that's the best thing I've ever heard. That is great. Yeah. I love being told by kids that I'm strict. And I think it's a real compliment to receive because there's, it means there's clear boundaries in place in your classroom or in your schoolroom. Yeah, definitely. And I always put it back to thinking, well, one day these kids are going to be in the real world, I guess you could call it. And there's going to yeah. be those expectations from police, bosses. And my biggest thing, I want to be able to set them up as a teacher for when they do leave school. Like just because you finish school doesn't mean rules stop there. And I think that's really, really important. Like you said, having that expectation, setting it very clearly. And I think sometimes people see strict as what... Um, may have happened in the 60s, even earlier, but it's not, mm. it doesn't mean you're not kind. I think being strict is being yeah. kind to those students because they know, yeah, like you said, they have a benchmark to meet and that's where you want to meet them at. 
And I suppose it also brings in that ideology of like intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So when you've mm. got clear guidelines and they know where what they're working towards, it's that in, extrinsic motivation to do well and to toe the line and to not cross boundaries. And then I think eventually then, like you said, it becomes that intrinsic motivation to do well in life and in, in society and to follow the rules and to understand that there is an expectation that those rules are followed. Yeah. Definitely. And I guess I just wanted to add on, I know this is something I struggle with. So say you have set the expectation that we need to walk on the cement. Very simple. (sighs) But in that moment when a kid is running, you might say, don't run. And they're going to hear run mainly. So it's making sure you're (laughs) rephrasing it in the fact that you're going to say walking, thank you. Or And I think that's something else I remember yeah. learning very early on, using thank you instead of please. And that sounds really mean at the beginning, but when they see here please, it's becoming an option for them. Whereas the thank you, you have told them exactly what you need to be doing and it doesn't really give them an option. It's not up to them whether they are walking. It's what they've been told to do. I really like that. I haven't heard that, um, like, the thank you rather than please before. Obviously, I've heard, like, the ask them to walk, not don't run. Mm. Um, and I'm te- I'm really terrible at something I do struggle with is my yes. first response is always don't call out or don't run. Yes. <laughs> um, and I know <laughs> earlier in the week I was, we were at swimming, um, year five swimming, and I had girls running past me. And I think I probably had about 10 girls run past me in the middle of class. And I kept saying, don't run, don't run. And every time I said it, I was like, can you just phrase that a little bit better? Like, Yeah. Don't, and I kept saying yeah. don't and don't and don't. Yeah. Um, but I like, I'm definitely going to adopt that idea of the thank you rather than the please. I like that. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I was, um, I remember being taught that on one of my tracks when I got profiled and I just, it's obviously really hard to do, but it's funny now in a schoolroom setting with only one student, I realise it more that when I say please, she thinks she has that option and I go, oh, wait. So, yeah, it's definitely, I think the last two years in the schoolroom has shown that it works more to me. Like I saw it, I guess, working in the classroom, but now it's more obvious. Yeah. 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 Um. And that, I guess, goes on to my tip that I had. And this is definitely a piece of advice that I learned in my first year from another teaching colleague. And the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. Mm. And I know it can be so hard on some days when you're just over it yourself and you just think, oh, it'll be right. I'll let it go this one time. But I guess by not pulling it up, you've accepted that that is, a behavior that you accept and it is okay and that's what you're telling the student by not doing anything about it yeah I really like that one too as well um and you're right it can be tedious to sometimes go back and reprimand the behavior um and the misbehavior and then pull it up and you know put consequences in place if necessary and all that sort of stuff and you're right sometimes it is a big effort but it is um it is very true and I think it links back to that um, like consistency and that consistently demanding yeah. like greatness and greatness is a very big word um, but that can just be greatness for that individual student and it's them yeah. achieving greatness or them achieving their best yeah definitely um, would you like to share one of your next ones and I guess it probably definitely links into that 
um, being clear and consistent and with your feedback as well. Yeah, so the um, focus on the behaviour, not the child, mm. um, which I think comes in handy when you're needing to broach misbehaviour or inappropriate behaviour with um, the parent. And so um, that can definitely be awkward. I remember the first time having to like psych myself up to speak to my boss about um, misbehaviour from the three girls. And um, it's it's the fact that you need, it's, ensuring that the behavior the action that you are putting consequences in place for is solely focused on the action so it's not the child doing the action it's the actual misbehavior so focusing on the behavior and not the child means that you you are um, identifying the misbehavior that is in in or not appreciated, not appropriate, rather mm. than the, the child themselves. And so it's not yeah. the child that's being naughty. It's the fact that they're calling out over the top of you or that they are not following instructions. And I think it's focusing on that verb. So it's the verb of whatever they're, that's causing the misbehavior is what yeah. you need to focus on. Because then you can't get, and I suppose this is more common on a like this classroom scale when you've got multiple kids in the classroom it's you can't get oh well she's picking on me or um she's being unfair because other girls like other kids are like that or they she doesn't like me when you're solely focusing on their actions and just completely remove any like personal or um like personifiable quantity qualities from the discussion particularly when it comes to being with your boss about their behavior so it's not just she's being really naughty it's she's not following instructions and so I'm having trouble because it means that as a result she is not completing her work or she is um, not you know putting her resources away appropriately yeah definitely and I guess that kind of links into what I was going to give a tip in following through with the consequence. Mm. And sometimes when you're time poor, and I think every govy and teacher will understand being time poor, but following through with the consequence that you were giving them, making that really clear why you were giving that consequence as well. And I think following through shows them that you, going back to your expectations thing that we spoke about before, you have those expectations. And if you don't meet those expectations, there are obviously consequences for not meeting them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I Um, suppose that, like, that then follows up with, like, like my fourth one, which I will come back to the third one, but that clear structures and routines as well. Yeah. And so, and I suppose that that is just a um, follow on from one and two, because when they understand where the boundaries are and where the lines are and what they need to be doing at certain times of day, then there is reason for consequences or there is reason to pull up misbehavior. So, you know, you come into the schoolroom and it's um, their job to turn on lights and get their books, look at the schedule and get their books ready for the day. And so if they're mucking around, they're not doing what's appropriate, you always have something to refer back to. And I think um, that's a huge benefit of having the schedule for the day written somewhere that they can like visually look at um, and allowing them to take responsibility for their learning. And they, so, you know, they've got math and then they've got 
science in the before, before Smoko. And so they can come in and they can get those books out and they have somewhere to refer to. And the stronger the structure is, the less room I think there is for misbehaviour. Definitely. And I think, yeah, that structure, I am a huge fan in showing that routine exactly what the kids are expected to do that day. So I know the teacher from Distance Ed sends us out a timetable, but quite often it's very wordy and it's mainly mm. aimed at home tutors and gubbies, whereas I then set up a separate timetable so my student doesn't get overwhelmed. And I think I just want to say to gubbies, like, it's okay if you haven't been doing these things. Like, you don't know what you don't know. So if you haven't mm. been doing it, yeah. It's okay to now only be introducing it now in week nine or whatever week you are in term one. Don't bog yourself down on what you haven't done. Like if you realise, okay, maybe that is something I need to implement, just do it and set it up, mm. speak to the students of why you're doing it and how it works. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, no, no one's perfect. We're sitting here with these tips but yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I spent ages thinking about these. And these are yeah. things that have been crafted for me and fine-tuned for me over the last five years of my career. They're not yeah. something that I was great at at the beginning. Um, and I'm sure in five years' time, I'll look back on these behavior management tips and say, oh, I, you know, I could tweak that or I could tweak this or I've changed that or I've changed this. It's, and I think it's important to remember the environment that you're in as well. Like, I know for me, my um, explicit behaviour management strategies are, um, aren't that great, but I think that's because I am fortunate enough that I have always just worked in schools where behaviour management has not been a priority yeah. um, and, and because it hasn't been necessary. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's the context of where you are as well. So you're right, they, people shouldn't feel bad for implementing things. And it's never too late to, you know, you haven't got a visual timetable yet. Implementing in week nine is nothing wrong with that. Yeah, oh, and I totally agree. I look back in my past six years of teaching and there are moments I know I didn't deal with behaviour well. And yes, I mm. could bog myself down on those moments, but I'm taking it instead as an opportunity to learn. And I guess I was very similar to you. It was when I sat down to write these tips, I was a bit like, oh, it seems really silly that I'm doing this and I only have one student. I feel confident, but I know there are times only two years ago in a mainstream classroom where I was not confident with this behaviour at all. And I'm sure, like you said, like I could go back into teaching in two, three years' time and there will be moments where I go, oh, wait, like this is something I need to work on. So, yeah, at this present moment, I can easily say I'm confident with my behaviour management because I only have one student, like, but yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean I have been confident in the past and I will be in the future. It's yet yeah, that learning. And I actually I actually think that behaviour management is harder with the less students that you've got. Mm. Um, I find behaviour management in a classroom um, and particularly I work in an all-girls school. So and I've only ever worked with girls. Um, I can't yep. tell you what it's like to teach boys. <laughs> I probably wouldn't survive, to be honest. Um, and I think it's I find it easier to manage a class of 25 than I did to find manage three little sisters in a schoolroom. Yeah. And it's, yeah, there was, there was days where there, there was some big flaws in my um, behaviour management and there was days that I definitely raised my voice when I shouldn't have. And so it is a learning process as well. Yeah. 
And I agree with that because I, I can't even think of the word of what it's called at the moment, but say I had a class of 25 and little Johnny here, I hate using the word Johnny, poor Johnny always gets picked on. Little Johnny is <laughs> rocking on his chair, but Sally beside him is sitting beautifully and you can praise Sally by saying, I love how you are sitting safely on your chair. And obviously that's going to click for Johnny to go, oh, wait, Sally just got told she's doing something good and hope that Johnny mm. follows through. But it is really hard when you have less students. You don't have that opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I think there's none of that like peer pressure as well, um, positive yeah. peer pressure to do the right thing. I know in my classroom, if girls start mucking up, other girls start like giving them the side eye and they're like, what are you doing? Like, this this isn't what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it can be. And so, yeah, pull out to anyone listening to this being like, oh my gosh, I'm not cut out to be gubby. I don't have no behavior management. It's fine. It's fine. We're all fine. Yeah. We're just try and do the best we can exactly I agree I look back in my first year in teaching and think oh my goodness I had absolutely no <laughs> idea what I was doing at all and probably even into my third or fourth year I felt like that some days and it's easy to look next door at the teacher next door hear from a gubby who mm. is doing it really well and you think oh my gosh but they probably have the exact same doubts as what you do but they're acting confident and people probably look at yourself and think oh my gosh she's all over it whereas mm. this side you just aren't coping you're thinking I can't do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've all been there yeah definitely <laughs> um can you tell us a little bit about the last tip that you wrote down for me about open dialogue with with the student mm, yeah so I suppose um, I think it also goes with your last one, which is giving um, them a choice. Yeah. And um, that open dialogue is just ensuring that the kids know what they've done wrong. And mm. um, so say, for example, it is them as something as simple as swinging on a chair and you have asked them several times not to swing on their chair. And I vividly remember um, taking the all three of my girls lost their chairs one day because they just would not stop swinging on them. Um, and they got really frustrated. And I remember, I don't know why you've, you've done this. I don't know why. And I, and making sure that they know what the behavior is so that next time they can like resurrect it and redefine it. And so that it doesn't occur again. And mm. I think also giving them the opportunity to fix what they've done wrong is um, really valuable. And so I always put, for something like that, like if I've taken a chair off them because I've been swinging on it, I always give them really short consequence times. So yeah. it might just be five minutes or 10 minutes. And I still do this with my high school girls as well. It's you've lost your chair for 10 minutes or even if you have to like move them away. So if you're, even if you're in a school room with a couple of kids and someone's not paying attention and I might send them to the desk outside for 10 minutes and I always make sure I give them the opportunity in that lesson to redeem themselves. Yeah. And so it's after 10 minutes, you come out, you, you know, go outside and now what do you think? Like, why do you think you've ended up outside? Oh, it's because I wasn't listening or I was talking back or, um, I wasn't doing my work properly. Okay, what can we do to fix this? And yeah. putting it back on them and making them verbalise, it's a good way for you to check that they understand as well. So by asking open-ended questions of why do you think you're out here and what can you do to um, 
to redeem yourself or what can you do to ensure that this doesn't happen again allows you to check their knowledge and check their understanding of what their misbehavior and then also Mm. it provides you with a dialogue to talk about how you can fix it and how you can um move beyond it as well yeah definitely I think it's really important that the kids as well know why the reason why you have um, maybe like taking the chair away from them. Obviously, it's a safety thing. You're not just doing it to mm. go against them as a human being. Like it's not a personal thing. You're thinking about their behaviour. Or if, for example, they're talking over everyone, like that's affecting their learning, but it's also affecting everyone else's learning at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, that you're giving a choice. And I think my third one sort of, fit in well together of Mm. having a combination of rewards and consequences um do you want to talk on giving a choice first yeah so I guess sometimes it's not if a student is completely heated giving them a choice may not be the right thing but say they were choosing not to do their work you may give them the choice that they're either going to complete it now or they can complete it at lunchtime obviously the second choice you give them is probably not the most um exciting one to say probably not the best words but they're not going to want to choose it in other words they're going to want to choose Mm. the first choice so it is really hard I know personally like there are times I should have used it and I didn't and yeah I guess it's giving them the choice and feeling like they are in control of what their behavior is and where they go next Mm. And I think even as a mitigation measure before you get to misbehaviour, I know how you can sort of see it brewing sometimes. Yes. You could even give them an option about, you know, they may say they're really quite restless or they're really not concentrating. It could be, okay, I can, I can see that you are finding this math lesson particularly difficult and you're getting frustrated by this. Um, I'm happy for you to work on this lesson alone or I can help you. Or it might even be something like, you know, they're really fidgeting and we keep coming back to this swinging on a chair or something. But it's before there's a consequence of it, you could even sh- twist it around so it's, that there's a reward. So it's, oh, yeah. do you want to go sit down on the beanbag and do your work over there instead? Or I'm happy for you to go outside if I can trust you to do this work independently. Yeah. And so putting those positive behaviours in place um, and the positive like reinforcements and rewards, I suppose, for doing the right thing and sort of diffusing the situation before it even starts Start. is yes. quite beneficial. I think behaviour management is just about like applying pressure when it's needed and then releasing it a little bit and then like applying it again when you need to and it's just like back and forth of mm. um, like, I don't know, like loosening the rubber band and then putting it back on when, yeah, when it needs to. And um, I also think children are never too old for a sticker chart. Yeah. Um, I have actually just implemented a sticker chart with one of my grade eights um, in the dorm. So I work in a boarding house as well. Um, and she was really having trouble with her nighttime routine. And we had already taken her off her and we'd taken her laptop off her and she literally had nothing left to lose. And so her behavior wasn't getting any better because she just didn't care. Yeah. And um, we have even just last week, we implemented a sticker chart and each night she needs to go to the house mother on duty and um, ask whether 
she's earned a sticker that day. And you then flip it back on the child and the house mother says to the child, well, do you think you've earned a sticker that day, Mm. Um, like today? And she then has to say yes because of X, Y, and Z. And then she gets the sticker. And then so once she's got to 10, she gets a reward. Um, And that works from I had sticker charts for even just afternoon pack up in the schoolroom. I had three sticker charts going for like one for each girl. They were all for different things. Um, Mm. And so it was like completing work independently and using their manners. And um, I think it was not back chatting was the three things we had sticker charts for, for each individual girl. And so at the end of the day, we got to reassess, like assess where they'd earn a sticker. And some days they said to me, oh, I don't think I've actually earned a sticker today, which Mm. was really cool because it's put the behaviour back and the assessment of their behaviour back on them. Because then that, that aren't there assessing themselves against their own standards, which I think Mm. is really good. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I kind of forgot so my classroom management strategy, I guess you could use, I use in the schoolroom is coins. So I have little laminated coins that I give my student. But when I'm giving that to her, I will be very specific in why I'm giving it to her. So say yeah. I would say, I loved your efforts for in your sound waves today. Or taking it away from yourself and saying, you should be very proud of how you work mm. on your English assessment today. So, and I've only recently read about it and it's so true, like taking it off, getting that validation from someone else and putting it back on themselves because obviously in life, people aren't going to give you a pat on the back for everything you do, but you need to be proud of what you have done. And I think that's definitely yeah. something I've only just recently discovered and thought about. And I think it's something I want to continue to try and implement in my schoolroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. That That's that whole idea of being an active and responsible learner and yes. it's them taking ownership from their learning and they're the only ones responsible for how well they do. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you said yeah. about the sticker charts for high schoolers. I'm pretty sure as you, in our first interview, you commented like high schoolers are just kids in big bodies. At the end of the day, they are still kids. Yeah. <laughs> and that is so, so true. Yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a really good reminder when they're being um when they're being naughty or there's misbehavior going on. And obviously I see kids in very different I see them in the classroom, but then I also go home with them because I then move from you know humanities into the boarding house with them. And mm. and um the number of times I have to remind them that like remind myself that they are kids. And yeah. um, you know, they also only have half a brain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I get really frustrated. I'm just like their brain's not fully developed yet. Their brain's exactly, yes. <laughs> and that's really hard as an adult sometimes because you treat terrible. Like, you don't want to take it personally, but then at the end of the day, they yeah. are kids, and that's why we're here, like to help them along because they have so many things mm. going through their brains. Like I just think back to when I was going through that puberty. Like they have their hormones that they have to deal with. Um, behave. Uh, friendship problems like there's so much going on for their little brains and I guess Mm. even as adults we don't always we act out inappropriately sometimes like we might Mm. snap at someone and we go oh wait like that is the same for kids but they don't have those um, strategies in place to cope with the things that they are dealing with yet 
Yeah, and I suppose I, particularly in a schoolroom context and a boarding house context where it's you do have a different sort of relationship as opposed to just being in the classroom, is I always, whenever they, um, the girls were naughty, particularly in the schoolroom, I used to just remind myself, I'm like, what an honour that they feel comfortable enough to be to yeah. lash out at you and to talk yeah. back at you. And um, we have a huge responsibility particularly in the schoolroom, and we're trusted with the education of children. And I think that's such an honour and such a privilege. And so trying to be positive about it, it can be tedious sometimes, but I think it is really good to be able to step back and go, hang on, this misbehaviour or this lashing out or this talking back is because they are comfortable with us. Yes. Um, and it's, yes. it's what an honour that we get to have this relationship with this child. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. I was only speaking with my boss about that last night. That um, not that my shun is naughty. I will say that straight up, but that she can come to me with her problems and she feels confident to do that. And obviously, mm. that has been over time, like building that relationship. And I think that is the most special thing. Like, I just that is mm-hmm. one of the reasons I became a teacher because I wanted those relationships and I wanted those kids to feel comfortable to speak to me. Like take away all the curriculum and all the assessment that you have to do at the end of the day I want to be that adult that students kids can come to because they feel comfortable to speak Mm. to me yeah and how cool as a govy is you you get to be like part of the family I know for you and I we come from similar contexts and the families we work for are fairly similar it's just you know the govies on the property and that's it but I think having also now three, two out of three of the girls that I govied are now in high school um, and they're at boarding school. And it's really special because they will still FaceTime me and text me and they'll talk about boys and they'll talk about friendship issues and they'll talk about school and they'll um, ring me to help with some sport advice. And I think we are just so lucky, even, even when we're in the trenches and when you're really struggling with that negative behavior and the, the, the stays in the schoolroom can feel really long sometimes mm. um, and particularly around end of term um, yeah but then it's moments like that when you get to look back and reflect and it's like oh how lucky are we that we get to have these little people think that we are the best and that we yeah. are really cool and that we um, we are theirs, which which is something so unique to being a gubby as opposed to just being a classroom teacher. Yeah, and I think that also goes on. I've just thought about this, and I guess it applies to gubbies and classroom teachers. Having that fresh start, like don't bring in what happened. You might have had the worst mm. day the day before, and it's hard not to hold that grudge, but those kids deserve a yeah. fresh start every single day, no matter how bad their behaviour was. Fresh day, even like after um, lunch, it happens, you move on. And I think that's, yeah, really important for those kids. To, and obviously when they will feel safe when you don't hold that grudge and you move on from it too. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're moving so far beyond behaviour management, but I think that's yeah. why um, well-being is so, and like, you know, that work-life balance. And um, I know when Soph was on your podcast, she talked about, the like what you've got to being a rural and remote teacher like it's it's more difficult to um, find that work-life balance and yeah being on a station is is hard when it's 
home and school and job and it's all like in the one spot um and so you want to go into each day being able to leave everything at the door and being able to be what you need to be for your student and Hmm. so finding that you know the the things that fill your cup is what's so valuable and um is is really important when you live remote as well yeah definitely well, Hannah, thank you so much for jumping on on your Sunday. I really hope um, everyone listening gets something out of it. And I really hope I will obviously post this episode and put it on Instagram and Facebook. But I would love to hear from people what they have done in their school room or mm. if they've taken any of our tips and implemented it. I think, yeah, we'd both love to really know how it has helped them. Yes, please. That'll be great. Um, Thanks so much for having me again, Amy. I really love um, coming on here and chatting and I love what you are doing. You should be really proud of the community that you are cultivating through um, your podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to jump on. Thank you for listening to the Last of Dirt in Education podcast. I can't wait to bring you a new story from rural and remote educators each week. Make sure you are subscribed to your favourite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram to keep up to date. Until next week, thank you.